Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. You cannot solve through human means, fallen human means, spiritual problems. You cannot change human nature from the outside. You can clean up the cup on the outside, it'll still be filthy on the inside. You can clean up the cup on the the, the tomb on the outside, you can whitewash it, it'll still be filled with dead man's bones on the inside. Because human nature is changed only by Jesus Christ. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so happy that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues our walk through the Sermon on the Mount with his successful Kingdom Living teaching series. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. We have a series that's called Successful Kingdom Living, uh, living right side up in an upside down world, and the world could not be more upside down than it is right now, I think. Uh, And so we began our series last week uh, doing the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. We did it in sort of a different way that may have seemed counterintuitive, but it's necessary because really everything in this world is built upon two foundations. There are only two religions in the world, the religion of human achievement and the religion of divine achievement, earning your way, making yourself better in the sight of whatever God you worship or having God do for you what you could not do for yourself. That's divine achievement. Those are the two foundations on which the world operates today. One is shifting sand, unsteady, unreliable, non-trustworthy. That's doing it your way. And the other way is having God use you to do things his way. That is the solid foundation that it comes through Jesus Christ. And then Jesus, of course, ended the Sermon on the Mount by saying, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like the wise man, the wise woman, the wise person who built their house upon the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine but doesn't do them is like the one who built their house upon the sand, and that house will not stand And as when he finished, the people were in a stunned silence. It says that he taught them as one having authority, not as one of their scribes, one of their regular teachers. And that's the heart of the Sermon on the Mount right there. That's the conclusion. That's the thesis. And everything else pours out of that. He saved his thesis for the end as he described to them successful kingdom living and as they were stunned by what they heard. And he ended with that point. But now we go to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and we begin to understand what God wants to do through us. And today's message is entitled Inside Out, Right Side Up. It's part, it's part one, more or less. 
Successful kingdom living begins from within. And our passage basically are the, is the Beatitudes. And as we begin to get into this, I want to ask you a question. And maybe you've already thought about this. Maybe you've been thinking about this your whole life. How can you, how can we make a difference in this world? How can you, how can I, how can we change this world? Because this world needs changing. And really, the Sermon on the Mount tells us what our lives need to be like, need to look like after we come to Christ in order to do just that. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount isn't an ethic. It's an outpouring of someone's salvation. You don't do these things to be saved. You do these things because you're living saved. And as he says elsewhere, you so let your light shine before men or women or people. They see your good works and they give glory to God who is in heaven. They, you are salt and light, a city set on a hill. You are conspicuous, noticeable. And in that noticeability, I keep inventing new words here, we have the opportunity to change the world, to present the gospel. So let's just kind of jump into the Beatitudes and then we'll move into more of the sermon. Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 12 says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So he assumes the normal position of a rabbi. You know, we preach standing up. They preach sitting down. I kind of like that idea, but we'll get, we'll get to that later. It says, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So he wasn't, he wasn't begging. He was teaching. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who realize their spiritual poverty. They have nothing to offer God and can come to God on God's terms. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are broken over their sin, for they shall find comfort in their salvation. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Some people say, blessed are those who get mad at the right things and don't get mad at the wrong things. Blessed are those who have self-control, for they will not squander the treasure that God has for them. They will receive blessing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who want all of what God has to offer, who want to do the will of God all the time, who want to do what God requires of them all the time, who hunger for it, who thirst for it, for they shall find satisfaction in him. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are those who are kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving, because God has forgiven them. They'll receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who want God's agenda, not their own, who don't have wrong motivations, who are pure in their love for God and their desire to serve God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And another translation might say, blessed are the reconcilers, for they shall be called sons of God. Those who want to see men and God reconcile to one another, they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed who live out their faith in a conspicuous way and suffer for it, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to comment after this, Jesus does. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. How many times have you worked in a place where there's a Christian troublemaker and when they shoot themselves in the foot and everybody's mad at them, they claim they've been persecuted. That's not what's going on here. It says, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As I read the Sermon on the Mount and, and understand its structure, that's the sermon, and everything else that comes after that is application, is what that kind of living, that kind of kingdom living looks like in terms of prayer, giving, service, the way people live. 
These are the heart conditions that drive all the applications that come from verse 13 all the way through the end of chapter 7. And as you think about that, think about this. And I want you to stay with me. This is going to be kind of a different sermon today. Imagine going to the doctor. With, and I know that some of you have had, I've had a bad rotator cuff, had a little tune-up a few years ago. You go to the doctor because you can't sleep, because you're in great pain, and you say, doctor, it hurts when I do this. And she says, don't do that. And you're like, well, there's no PET scan, there's no MRI, there's no x-ray. And so you walk around trying not to do this, but sooner or later, being human, you're going to do that, aren't you? Because this problem has not been fixed. And sooner or later, you're going to move that shoulder and it's going to hurt. Let's move on to something a little more closer to home for some of you. I won't name any names today. A couple of you passed me on the freeway the other day, you know, and I I saw that white blur and, you know. Los Angeles is in the midst of an incredible, incredible crisis right now. They have had, in one year, about 20,000 hit-and-run collisions. Think about that. And the collisions are between cars and people. Uh... 27 people died in hit-and-run crashes in L.A. in one year, and 144 others were severely injured. Now think about that. How to solve that problem? How do you solve that problem? I know. We'll make speeding against the law. There it is. We'll pass laws. We'll create institutions and programs that make it illegal to have an accident and leave the scene of the crime. We'll design structures. We'll have driver's ed in schools. We'll indoctrinate children to treat the people the right way so that when they have an accident they don't leave we'll tell people don't drive recklessly how's that working for you we'll establish speed limits oh we've already done all that haven't we that's kind of like saying don't do this and your shoulder won't hurt national public radio tells the story of izzy a 17 year old boy who was riding his bicycle and he was stabbed to death he was stabbed, and his first responders got there. He, he unfortunately bled to death. They tried to save him. He was the 55th murder victim by stabbing in his hometown that year. And since then, at least seven more teenagers have been stabbed. In his hometown, there are more stabbings and shootings than there ever have been. And in fact, in his hometown, in his hometown, crime, murder, stabbing, shootings, all this stuff, violence, gang violence drive-bys have exceeded the shootings, the stabbings, the drive-bys, the murders, have exceeded those in New York City. What can his town do about that? They can regulate weapons. I mean, New York, you know, has some pretty strict weapons regulation. They can make assault and murder illegal. Uh, They can pass laws. They can create institutions to regulate behavior. And some, someone suggested, well, maybe they should just ban handguns. The problem is, is that Izzy's town is London, England. And London, England has had all those laws and all those regulations on the books forever and ever and ever. And you know what? In most cities, it's against the law to assault people, to stab people, to kill people, to shoot people, to murder people. So what are you going to do? Outlaw murder, outlaw knives, outlaw bicycles? Izzy's town isn't the, isn't the problem. It's an international city. I mean, London, England, more murders than New York City? Who would have thunk? What's the solution? I mean, outlawing speeding, outlawing crime. Let's, you know, what are you going to do? We're told today, too, that poverty, discrimination, racism, and those kind of things are, need to be addressed, that they're on the increase. What can you do about that? What can you, well, we could pass laws against discrimination. 
We could uh, uh, appropriate resources to fight poverty. Uh, We could declare war on poverty. Um, We can educate people in the school systems. We can make it illegal to discriminate against people on the basis of race, uh, sex, age, national origin, whatever. Here's the problem with that. In his 1964 State of the Union address, I dare say some of you might have even heard it, Lyndon Baines Johnson declared war on poverty, made it his business to outlaw poverty. Federal and state governments followed suit, and today, and at least as late as 2016, we spent over $1 trillion in the war on poverty. 24.4% of the gross domestic product, 24% of everything produced and, and everything else has been allocated in that direction. In 1964, the federal government made it a federal offense to to discriminate against people on the basis of race, national origin, age, gender, sex, whatever you want to call it. They're both one and the same. And states followed suit, and it's against the law in every 50 state, every state in the union. So what's the problem? There have been social justice movements in place since the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution, the Cultural Revolution in China creating the year zero in Cambodia. People have used all kinds of methods, coercive, legislative, doctrinaire, passed laws, created institutions. But the problem is, is that you cannot solve a spiritual theological problem from the outside in. You're just putting a coat of paint over a rotten building or a rusted automobile frame or the, or the decaying uh, hull of a ship. And in the end, it collapses from within. You cannot solve through human means, fallen human means, spiritual problems. You cannot change human nature from the outside. You can clean up the cup on the outside, it'll still be filthy on the inside. You can clean up the cup on the the, the tomb on the outside, you can whitewash it, it'll still be filled with dead man's bones on the inside. Because human nature is changed only by Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. And human beings no matter what the laws say, will always do what human beings do unless they are changed from the inside out permanently and eternally. And when you look at every movement, every crusade for the last three or 400 years, liberty, egalite, fraternity, French Revolution was going to make everybody equal, and everybody who they didn't like in the end, Robespierre and the Committee of Public Safety slaughtered them like livestock in the, city, in the town squares. And Marx and Engel and Lenin and Stalin, Berea, you remember him, we talked about him, killed over 20 million people to, get, to bring about equality and justice in the Soviet Union. And in Mao's Great Leap Forward and Cultural Revolution, they killed about 90 million people. And in Cambodia, they killed a third of their population, making everybody equal, going back to the year zero. You know what? You can't persuade people to behave, and you can't coerce them to behave. Because human beings are fallen, broken creatures. And if programs and policies could change the world, it would have been saved 50 times by now. Most of the solutions that humans come up with to the problem of sin, because that's what the problem is, since they're without God, since they are atheistic and not theistic, fail. And, you know, we, we, we are the freest country in the world, and we have it better than any other country. I stood in, in, in a, in a, on an island called Tarawa, in 2001 with a Melanesian pastor's wife. And she was telling me how inferior Micronesians, Hawaiians are. I went to the former Soviet Union to train pastors and I heard Slavs talk about how inferior non-Slavs were. These, these were professing Christians. 
When I lived in South and Central Florida in the hotel business and we assembled work teams and put them together, at that time I was a little less culturally savvy, and so we put a work team together with Puerto Ricans and Cubans, and one of the, somebody asked a Cubano, where are you from? And he said, I'm from Havana, and the Puerto Rican goes, what floor? Because every Cuban's from, every Cuban's from Havana, what floor? Because you guys got, and the point of the matter is, discrimination, racism, whatever you want to call it, is everywhere. And it's not going to go away ever until Christ returns. People want solutions to their problems, and that's a good thing. And we want to end crime, and we want to end hit and runs, and we want to end murder. We want to end all these things. But the problem is, particularly in the church with the social gospel movement, is we get sucked into doing it the world's way, and we have almost no effect at all. If you look at all the mainline denominations, United Methodist Church, Presbyterian Church, USA, United Church of Christ, Congregational Church of America, Episcopal Church, USA, they're going to cease to exist by about 2025 because they've walked away from the gospel and they've gotten involved in social action as if this life is the only life that counts. And this life is short and eternity is long. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't help people and do our bit, do our thing, do our best. But what I am telling you is when you take your eyes off of the gospel, you will fail. You will fail. And the only way that you and I can change the world is through successful kingdom living. Otherwise, we're just putting lipstick on a pig or a coat of paint over a collapsing house that has no foundation. And for us, the way to do that is to embrace what we find here in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Beatitudes. And in that way, we can, living out our lives with so-called successful kingdom living, cause people to stop and stare and ask, what in the world makes us different? And so what I want to do today is to kind of walk you through the Beatitudes, because what we see here are the character traits that are present in a believer. They cannot be coerced into an unbeliever. They cannot be legislated into an unbeliever. They should be the overflow of our relationship to Christ. And through living out our faith in a compelling way, we have the opportunity to begin to change the world one soul at a time, which is a whole lot harder than legislating and a whole lot harder than coercing people and a whole lot harder than passing laws about speeding that already exist. And that's what we want to do today. The Beatitudes begin with blessed are, happy are, peaceful are, joyful are, content are, the poor in spirit. This is not happiness or contentment or joy that the world gives. This is what Christ gives to those who have entered into a relationship with him. And in so entering into that relationship with him, we end up with a Christ-honoring life and a Christ-honoring testimony that affords us the opportunity, more often than not on a one-to-one basis, to speak into the lives of someone else and bring them into a transforming, eternity-changing, behavior-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want to talk to you today about, the, about five character traits that are going to be essential for you in order for you to live out your faith successfully, successful kingdom living. And the first trait is this. The first thing you need to understand, the primary thing we need to know in terms of successful kingdom living is this. It starts in the heart. The first trait is found, it begins in the heart. You see that in Matthew 5, 3 through 8. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. It all begins from within. 
These are all heart things, heart conditions that arise, that erupt, that emanate from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ where the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in a person's life and has begun to transform the way they live and think and speak and do. Successful kingdom living begins for us with salvation and the change it brings. World-changing, life-changing, inside-out change. A heart that knows its sin and a heart that has experienced God's grace and wants to live its life in light of that grace. A heart that has been changed from the inside out, not a heart that is entitled, not a heart that does not appreciate its spiritual poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize they have nothing to give God, that they deserve nothing, and that everything that's happening to them in this life is better than they deserve. Because it all begins with a new heart from God. In fact, even in the Old Testament, it teaches us God speaking to an apostate Israel through the prophet Ezekiel, begging them to return to him, says this in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. And this is my salvation verse, actually. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules, my commandments, my ordinances. Different translations say it different ways. I will take out your dead, stone cold heart and I will put in a tender heart of flesh, a soft heart, a heart that mourns for its sin, a heart that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Right side up living begins and comes from a relationship with God. You can pass laws, you can outlaw speeding, you can outlaw hit and runs, you can tell people don't do this, don't do that. You can hashtag whatever you want. You can declare war on anything. But until the heart changes, fallen, sinful humanity, depraved humanity, selfish humanity will do what it does. And you see this kind of heart changed personified in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke uh, chapter 18, verses 10 through 14, in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now think about this. What do Pharisees do? They're all about rules, right? The Pharisees thought the law of Moses wasn't enough, so they created, they legislated all these other moral customs and mores that went beyond the law to change Israel. How did that work for them? They killed their Messiah. So we have this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I think in the King James it says publican and the tax collector. And we have this beginning in Luke 18 verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Basically, he's a good citizen. He pays his taxes and he votes. And he is better than most people. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Blessed are the poor in spirit those who realize they are nothing spiritually, that they don't deserve anything but sin, death, and hell.
Pastor Keith Crosby, on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org and also at jono at hillside.org. That's J-O-N-O at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. Amen.